1: Only those who are risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Is a quote from T.S. Eliot, the great American poet. That catches the essence of our discussion today as our guest embodies such a spirit, an entrepreneur not wanting to follow the world but take on the world. And in this discussion we cover everything from the samurai sword to the Swiss army knife, from pushing the dial to becoming a master of the internet, from healthy paranoia to not making enough mistakes, from the age of cryptocurrency to the future of fintech and finally to the next big challenge, the decision, to start again and on this new journey create an Australian global tech company. A pretty bold goal and no easy task, but our guest has a track record to make all of us sit up and take notice. Our guest is Fred Shavesta, the co-founder of the global comparison website finder.com who in 2019 debuted on the Australian Financial Review Young Rich List at number 22 with a wealth of $193 million. He was also awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by Blockchain Australian Industry Awards and joins us as our first CEO under 40 years old that we have ever interviewed. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets And influences that have shaped their destinies, and that you could apply to your own life. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, managing partner of Blender Partners, the number one research led executive search and board advisory firm. In this episode, Fred openly shares with us what it takes to be an entrepreneur, the yin and the yang of the working dynamics with Frank, his partner, the competition they face from day one, and the values they have instilled to make Finder the international success story that it is today. We learn about the phoenix and the need to reinvent the pursuit of incremental growth and Fred's big vision that he's never shared previously. And if that wasn't enough, with the upcoming launch of the Finder app, we will be giving you an opportunity to be the very first users of this new technology. So sit back and enjoy, straight
0: up courage. Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Craig. Thanks for listening, everyone. I
2: think we're going to have a very engaged audience, Fred. And I believe there's a samurai sword that holds pride of place in the office. What's the story behind the samurai sword?
0: Well, um, you know, we had to we had to buy uh, something to commemorate the uh, Google penalty we recovered from. We, we lost about 80% of our traffic for three months. Now, obviously, as an internet business, that's pretty punchy. Now, we didn't get fined or anything. You know, we didn't go to jail. Didn't have to get any, any lawyers, but it's pretty much getting put into the Google jail in, in, if there is one. Um, and, you know, what we took from that was that was the moment in time where we went from just executing tactics to actually going and building a business. And, and what we learned from that, you know, is, is if you execute a strategy or, or even a tactic to an extreme level, which we did, it can actually cut you back. Right, so we, we took it pretty hard and it got a bit out of control. We were really, really pushing the dial. We found the edge. We touched the touched the, the Google wires, let's put it that way. So selling very close to the margin. We, right to the edge. Actually, we touched the wire too, too hard. You know? And so we got a manual penalty from Google. What does that mean? Basically, you go down about 200 places of all your rankings in Google overnight, immediately. That's 80% of your traffic, easy. Um, and and that, that was... I'd say, you know, as close to going out of business as we've gone with Finder, um, not fun. Emotionally, the most brutal thing you can do because they don't actually... Back in those days, they didn't say anything. They would just do it overnight. Yeah, right. Um, And uh, we rallied the whole entire company, all 12 of us. (laughs) Um, I was in... um, up in Norfolk in London and a wedding and I got a call at 3am and I don't normally answer the phone at those times, but if the phone does ring, I'll answer it. And that's the news I got. And so we started a campaign to get it back. And that samurai soul, um is there to remind us of not only the gallantry that we put behind recovering, yeah. but also to remind us in the future, you know, our tactics can, can be sharp and they can hurt us as well.
2: It's all about trust, isn't it? You know, I, I think,
0: yeah, definitely. I think I think these days trust has become the premium on um, a lot of Google rankings, a lot of a lot of a lot of um, uh, actually the whole internet. You know, mm. I think everyone's a bit confused right now, like mm. what to trust. Yeah, agreed. Um, so we've done a lot of work around bringing faces to the website, showing the actual people who are writing these articles, what we've actually done. It's just a huge amount of work that's gone in and continuously goes in, Greg. To to Explain and detail the methodology that we use to compare things.
2: So you're the youngest CEO we've had in in this studio. What does it take to become a success like you've become?
0: You know, I I was not the best student, um, and I think you know a lot of people get discouraged by that. You know, a lot of people do well at university. I I didn't think I really understood and took university in the in the way you were supposed to take it. And I was mainly studying the internet at that time. Okay. And I was building websites and selling them. So I was in my college room building a business while everyone was, you know, having fun. I was still having fun, but I just didn't turn up at lectures very much. Anything I did learn, I sort of took and I and I applied. So I think the first seven years in the first business, you know, the digital agency, what takes what it took from then, you know, I was young. It's okay to make mistakes, I had nothing to lose. Started early. I think that's a key thing. But also I built a mastery. And the mastery was how to market something on the internet. Right. How do you get traffic? How do you um, convert traffic? How do you build a website? I physically, personally coded the website, you know, find it myself in the beginning. I would, you know, I'm not the best coder, but I, I, I'm okay, you know, I'm dangerous enough. Um, I think understanding coding, design and copywriting are three incredibly important skills for any marketer or any business leader today or any entrepreneur and I, I basically grinded out the years, not earning very much money, um, but practicing those skills. And then I translated that mastery into a product, and that product is Finder. That's mm-hmm. what it is today. You know, the first four years of Finder, we just we, we didn't actually think too much about the strategy, we just executed what we knew. So, what is Finder? That's a good question. I, I, well, the way I see it, or it depends on how you, how you want to see it, it's, it's, it's really a comparison service. Mm-hmm. Uh, where people, you know, from a customer perspective, they go there and people save money, right? They get a better deal. Yep. You know, your, your mortgage, your, your credit card, your personal loan, um, broadband, you know, now we're doing VPNs. I think you can get, find your best barbecue now there. Um, we've compared shampoos, <laughs> right? So we've gone pretty extreme. Okay. Um, but, you know, at its core, I think if you were to look at it now, if you turn that around from our clients, so that's our partners, what do they see it as? They see yep. it as a place to get qualified customers that are there to make decisions. You know, people don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, I'm going to go to find it. That sounds like a fun thing to do. I'm going to watch pictures of cats and dogs running around. It's I'm there because I need to make a life decision. These are motivated people. And so for our partners, when someone arrives on their website, they convert, they buy the product because they've already done the information. They've they've researched it. They've made a considered decision. And that's one. That's actually our fourth value at Finder: is empower people, right? So we we go out and we we teach people to fish, as opposed to giving them fish. That's yeah, a fish. Right. It's a crucial you know value. But there's five values at Finder, and I think where I'm trying to take it, and 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 where we're really driving towards is now we've been this media company that sort of published a lot of content. We've been a marketing company where you know people, some people in Australia know our jingle now, um, <laughs> um, and mastered those things. There were things that we knew, but that was what that was my past, and Frank as well, my, my co-founder. That's where we've come from. And now what we're doing is we've just launched this app. We're starting to become a technology company, and that sounds strange. After ten years, you'd think a website company was a technology company, but I don't think we were. I think we were just a very we were a content media business. And you know, this new app is really our, our first step to becoming a, a technology company. So a fintech, right? That's where we're moving to. That's where I see the growth. Okay. Um, and I can talk a bit about that um, as well. But but that's you know, that's what I think Finder is today. It's it's a company. Our vision is to better all the world's decisions.
2: But do Australians compare?
0: You know, um, it's an interesting one. I just came back from our UK office and um, 60% of car insurance is bought through comparison sites in the UK, Yep, right? That's a massive figure. I'd say the numbers around in Australia are about 20%. So most people don't compare, um, which is, you know, it's a sad thing. And it's something which I'm trying to change. And, you know, we've got a mission that, um you should compare all your decisions you should compare that it's free right you know Mm. what i mean at least you get a good kick down field and and at its core right deep down i believe that if you are more well informed you make a better decision that's the fundamental premise of the entire company and you know we want to change that
2: what was the competition like fred when you first set this business up
0: we were six years behind most of the big competitors They've been around for a long time in the UK. We're twenty years behind. They've been around since the nineties. Some of the first websites in the UK were comparison services. Some of the early sites in the US as well. Twenty years behind, easy. Um, so the competition is is not. It, it is it is brutal. It is um, you know people are putting up big big bets on this, this space. It's so a growth space.
2: So what's giving you the edge
0: then? So that's a combination of things. Um, I think. One of the things we do really well is execute um, and execute fast. The third value of Finder is go live. So we have a bias to putting things live on the internet. If it's not on the internet, it doesn't exist, and everyone knows this. And you know, I'm famous in the company for screaming "go live," you know, and and people people get that cultural um, energy that comes with empowerment where you do something because you want to do it, not because someone told you to do it. You want to go live. You want to you want to put something out there. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, you know, we focused on marketing. Marketing has been our big thing as opposed to technology in the beginning. Now, I think we've made that change and we've established that base. We know how to go to market, but now is the time when we're going to start creating great products that get that word of mouth, people start sharing, people start using And and that's where I think this huge kick up is going to start to happen.
2: And what do you think your marketing has been so good? It's got a great jingle, jingle.
0: (laughs) Greg. It does. Um, (laughs) You know, um, we started, and and I'm an old school actual. I I know you may think, um, I guess from a perception, I might look young. um, But I actually come, I just trained classically in direct marketing. So what that means is the old school techniques, copywriting, um, headlines, just the stuff that works. And has it changed much, do you think? I don't think so. I think it's just repeating so it's itself. you're getting to miss I think most most marketing or advertising all of it is just the same principles re- just repatched together in different ways. Even even video stuff is really a headline with a with a flashy image to get you involved, to get you emotionally committed and it's talking to your same receptors which are actually very close in your brain that make decisions. You know that, that's that's the foundation. That stuff doesn't change. Those principles you need to learn those. Um, And I think that's where a lot of our marketing comes from. It's just we market to people's demands, right? We don't don't create a demand. So like Apple goes and creates this new product that no one's ever heard of, right? What we do is we go and find a problem. You know, I need credit. I need some cash. um, I need to refinance. um, I want to get faster broadband. Whatever your need is, we create pages and content and services which help you go and get that. And that's, that's the way we've always thought about things. Service demand and needs as opposed to creating it.
2: And as a supplier, do you find me or do I find
0: you? It's a bit of both right now. Um, it used to be we would go and find you for a lot of the time. And now, you know, it's it's it's. I think because of the brand's got a lot more awareness, particularly in Australia, that, you know, people go, oh, well, we could just, you know, let's just go and get um, ourselves on Finder. And it's kind of like, you know, the six letters in Google and the six letters in Finder. Right? You want to get customers. You can buy a Google ad or you could buy a Finder on yeah, exactly. um, placements. It's the same thing. And I think people are starting to see that. It's just, you know, initially it looked like I'd say probably a service which most people didn't quite understand. And now it's becoming the main performance marketing um, channel of many marketers.
2: And you've got ambitions to be what the Amazon of comparison?
0: Amazon of comparison. It's a big call. Well, you know, I I, I can't see what's – what's um, why can't we? You know, I think a lot of Australian companies, the challenge has always been, especially in tech, you know, we, we, we take what the Americans do and the UK um, companies do as the ultimate, as the godsend, as that we must bow down to them. Why can't an Australian company stand up and um, compete? Why, why can't we be the next Google all around the world?
2: So you're not the fast follower then?
0: I'd say we're not, yeah, definitely not first. We definitely have fast followed um, in terms of the business model. Mm-hmm. But I think we are about to change the game. I think we're reinventing comparison. Talk us through it. So I think that one of the big challenges with um, when you compare something is, and Bill Gates wrote about this in his autobiography. He wrote that there's in the future there'll be a world where everything is automatically compared for you. And I think we're in that place where every decision, you know, it goes all the way back to fundamentals, right? Every day we make thousands of decisions, and that's what determines our life. And I believe we can support people through 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 those decisions by creating algorithms, by um, connecting to people's data, and 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 giving them the insights that we know about because we've done the work, but doing it automatically, whereas. Right now what happens is you wake up in the morning, you go to find it, you have to type it in, you have to go there and you have to go and get the information. What I want to create is a world where there is people who have connected their information, connected up their data and we are bringing the insight to them. It's changing the paradigm, right? It's going from... I need to wake up in the morning and I need to go and do something To Hey, finders told me this awesome thing I can go and do. Oh, I can earn an extra two, you know, 0.2% of my savings. Oh, there is a personal loan now that I can now qualify for because my credit score's improved because um, we've removed that default off your thing. We know this information. We understand the things. Hey, you can go and save some money. That's the world we need, we're going to. That's what we expect. You know, Google keeps rerouting our maps and works out the traffic patterns even, right? Like you can see the traffic patterns with your finances. They're just numbers. It's mathematics, and I believe we can close that gap between you know people trusting banks and they trust them banks to hold their money. I don't necessarily trust their banks to necessarily give them advice about their money. Whereas I think for us, I think we've got this nice gap where we can give them a, a, sort of, I guess, advice about their money and give them information and options and just present it to them and say, hey, this is what you could do. It's up to you what you want to do because we're here to empower you at the end of the day. But here's the gap I think that exists right now. It's like, convenience, automation, and, you know, the financial system opening up, that's this confluence happening right now that I think we're well-placed to, to make, you know, very substantial investments, if we already have. And I want to see a world where your finances are automated, where you're getting into a situation where your investments are automated, you know, you, you, your bot's sort of telling you these things, markets are moving and you're well-placed, and your financial life is kind of automated.
2: So if open banking on the horizon, and the UK have already gone down this path, where do you see that that gap, that window to start with?
0: Open banking is, um, yeah, I was just came back from from there. It's ugh, some of the stuff I've seen. It makes it just so much easier to do. Um, I think that's just the beginning. That's just the railway lines that connect into your bank, right? Mm-hmm. I think the future is what you do with that. And, you know, what we're going to try and do is bring – a lot of smarts that we know and try and automate that and bring that to the customer. I I think that um, the regulation has also been put in place and that's the the bedrock, right? Because if you go, you know, what would normally happen is companies, big companies would fight back through lawyers and government lobbying, whereas in this case, you've got the cadence going the other way. So it's kind of like, I see like a tidal wave that's sort of building up, and now because that regulation has been put in place, laws have been passed. The ACCC is behind it here in Australia. You know, the UK mass, you know, just stamped out um, short-term loans. Yep. It's having this big impact on in the you know Europe's doing the same thing. I think America will take a lot longer because the banks are much stronger and they'll they've had a, you know some tough times. But I think this is the kind of bedrock technology regulation and the customer wanting it. Those three things are going to drive this.
2: And you're a technology company now.
0: I want us to be a technology company, yeah.
2: Okay. What type of people are you going to hire now for your new technology company?
0: So I think that um, we're obviously getting a lot. We, we, we actually were quite short on engineers. Let me just talk a little bit about that because I, mm. I think it's important. There's a big difference between a developer and an engineer. Now, de- the way I see that is like a developer will build you an IKEA, you know, wardrobe, and an engineer will build you a bridge. Right, we were pretty short on bridge builders. We had a lot of, lot, we had a lot of, um, you know, we were building some great wardrobes, and you know, it was a nice house, right? Uh, and no disrespect, it's just what we what we were asking of our crew. Mm-hmm. And so, in we, we're hiring engineers now. Uh, we're hiring uh, creative technologists that can stitch dots together. And the the challenging part, but as well. Is that not all of the technologies are settled yet? So you've got to. It's not so like you need. You you, you can just architect something um, with certainty. You have to be comfortable with uncertainty at Finder now because we're at that cutting edge. We're in that moment of change, and 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 they're, they're the kind of people. You know, we're always looking for marketers. Finder is a great marketing company. If you want to be a great marketer, come and work with us. Like we'll teach you how to market. Um, and we're always wanting more marketers, digital marketers, graduates. Um, you know, in general, we talk, I, I always look for hustlers as well, just being honest. Um, you know, all around the world, there's just this hunger. And if you're hungry and you want to be great, they're the kind of people that are attracted to Finder.
2: Is it hard to get into Finder?
0: It is hard. You're dealing with a lot of interviews um we also put a lot of traps in place like I, I don't give um the address of where the interview is taking place um if you can't go to google and look up our address then you shouldn't be considered anyway, I, think, yeah. I think you should um yeah probably find somewhere else um we are you know we're an internet site you're going to find our address right yeah and it's the productivity it's the um i'm sure you know this is what a lot of people want but I think it's just immediately screening people out. Like, if you have a hotmail address and you're applying at Finder, you're probably not going to get in. It's probably going to be pretty tough, right? Um, you know, you've got to understand where we're going. You've got to be in the zeitgeist. You've got to live this, breathe this, and then empathise with the customer because you're part of it too. And, and, and that's, you know, the bar's high, but just, that's okay.
2: To, the only reason I asked that Steve Jobs was very, very particular when he grew his business, and he's passionate about hiring the right person. How how much are you in in the day to day in the hiring process?
0: You know, I I used to be obviously I would say I hired at least the first fifty people in Australia. Mm-hmm. I hired at least the first twenty five people in the US, um, and because I was there as well, um, you know. And then I've I, I've done the similar kind of thing in the UK, not not as much in the UK, and a little bit in in Canada. Um, but you know, I think it's absolutely critical. That a founder or CEO understands exactly the people and sets that benchmark. Like I, I, I just can't. No one else will, right? You're the you, the box stops with you. Yep.
2: You're a co-founder. How does the yin and yang work together?
0: Yeah. So Frank and I, um, we used to uh, live together actually back in 2000 um, and two, 2003. Um, we're very famous for hosting um, very big Australia Day parties, by the way, um, and. Um, we we actually ran the place like an Airbnb before there was Airbnb. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're pretty enterprising like that. Um, you know, Frank is, you know, he's not, he looks different to me. He operates differently. He's more, you know, I guess, uh, analytical, financial, commercial. Um, but at the same time, he, he has, the, you know, we have those two dots, right? He has a wild side. He takes risks. He leans in. He's enterprising as well. And on my side, I think, you know, there's moments where I'm very conservative. You know, I'll read contracts every single line to the smallest small print because that's just something where I think there is that nice balance. I don't think we're the same at all Mm -hmm. and we don't do the same roles at any point in time. But I think at any point in time we'll know. I think one of the key things is we're really good at um, leading and following. We call it followership at Finder. So we're – it's sometimes really powerful to follow someone else and support them, and in other times you need to lead, and it's it's your turn to step up. And at any point in time, you know, I guess we're the co CEOs in that way, co founders, and we've always at at some point in time along the way, we're one of us is leading and one of us is following to support that other person to be great.
2: So, how do you two guys operate? Do you catch up every night of the week? Do you catch up by text, email? What's what's that's the uh,
0: you know we're constantly on Slack together. Um, okay. We also have a ritual lunch that we um, commit to. So we go and have um, lunch together every month. And it's just that is not negotiable. That's a time when, you know, we, 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 we re-sync and talk about where we're going. And that's kind of like a board meeting, I guess, in a sense, um, which is kind of weird, you know. Um, but it's nice, right? We get to move fast. And, and and I'm very cognizant of that today because in the future, I could imagine those processes will need to be a bit more structured to some extent. But that's the advantage we get, right? That's, and we need that advantage right now because we're competing against other very big structured publicly listed companies and they have to, you know, go through processes to do that. So we need to go and find an edge and an edge is we make decisions faster.
2: This is not the first time around, is it?
0: No. So Frank and I, we did sell a company uh, in 2007 to a public company.
2: Okay.
0: Um, a digital agency. That, that, that Basically, we built websites and marketed them for people. Yep. Um, and then one of the businesses we had on the side was we had little experiments. So we had a, we had a poker site. We had a Mother's Day present site. <laughs> we had a Sudoku site when that was popular. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was Credit Card Finder, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, 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 you know, the poker sort of died down. Texas Hold'em became less famous. Um, Sudoku, I don't know how you make money out of that. Mother's Day pre- only happens one time a year. Um, and, um, you know, but Credit Card Finder had a, had a real uh, business model and a, um, a structure and a methodology that we understood and that we knew how to operate and what what to, what to do. And that's what we scaled, right? That's what we lent into. Um, we, we folded the, the Mother's Day present still actually runs on Finder. There's a shopping section, so that still lives today, I guess in some way, shape or form, um, including Father's Day and Valentine's Day. By the way, Valentine's Day is important., uh, FYI.
2: How do you measure yourself if you're successful along the way, Fred? Because a lot of businesses start up, entrepreneurs start up, can't make a buck along the way. Are you into profit yet?
0: Yeah, we we started um, as a profitable company, you know, and we've we've it, been profitable each year. Um, the way we kind of thought about that is we just set very strict um, frameworks, right? um so we have you know run certain percentages and and i think that's you know we're a bootstrap company so we haven't taken on any funding um so it kind of it kind of we've always had that discipline yeah. remember what we did sell the company before that so we, right, a yeah. lot of the learnings we've had we knew how to run a company we knew this area as i said the first four four and a half years we were kind of just executing which is a great place to be in because you've got domain knowledge and you're just you're just doing what you know how to do really really well right um, i think the discipline of building a company that that makes a profit but is undervalued um and and we've we've always seen ourselves not as a unicorn company but more as a phoenix so a phoenix where we continuously reinvent ourselves right so we reinvented ourselves from credit cards to be finder just generically then we reinvented ourselves to be a global service right so in the us uk and things like that and now we're reinventing ourselves again to be a fintech company where we provide this these services direct to people so what's the app so this app is a um, it's a masterpiece. No, it's but it genuinely it's it's our best work. It's our best product we've built to date. It um, it it basically automates your comparison. You connect your bank account up. Mm-hmm. Um, we read your transactions. It's not personally identified information. It's just just um, anonymized. And then we make suggestions. We say, hey, you could save you know twenty bucks on your your cell phone plan or um, your health insurance looks a bit expensive compared to other people on similar circumstances. Um, we also have your credit score in there, just so a free credit score. Um, and that obviously shows you what the banks are, are seeing. And where we're going from here is, I think, you know, there are other decisions people can get help with, right? So um, the chance of getting approval. So we've already launched this in the UK. Um, so when you're going for a personal loan or credit card, it actually tells you what chance you have of getting approved, right? Which is a pretty important decision in and of itself. Um, you know, we could think there's, there's lots and lots of possibilities. So you could offer share trading. We could offer a debit card itself, um, trade Forex. You could convert Forex. I just think the the possibilities. We also have a big shopping section on Finder. And, and all these services are already there. We're just digitizing them and bringing them to the customer so they don't have to go and compare. Instead, they can just one click and do it. So, so it's kind of like if you think about the user journey right now, I've got to go make a decision. I've got to go research all this information. Instead, Finder's done the work for you and we're bringing that service direct yep. to you in your phone.
2: Okay. Could you get shut out from that nemesis called Google?
0: Well, maybe. <laughs>
2: That's the greatest, Is that the greatest threat you've got?
0: I think so. I think it's. I think Google is a um i think they're friends of ours you know we spend a lot of money with them at the end of the day it's the same as you know um you know eric Schmidt sat, sat on the board of apple for a long time but then they build android right mm. um he didn't they didn't build phones now they build phones so i don't think he sits on the board anymore um <laughs> so i think it's interesting but you know at the end of the day i think those two work together it's it's the market, right? We can't we can't control it. No one can control the whole market. That's just not how it works. I think it's just what the customer wants. That's the ultimate decision point. So we're trying to we're trying to serve the customer. We're trying to we're trying to work with Google, and we always will. But I just think it's 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 about what the customer wants, and that's changed, right? It, it's it's clear from what's happened in the media, what's happened in the you know from government through the expectation of the customer now has changed, and we're adapting to that
2: government far behind on that expectation
0: or governments from what you're saying? I think, I think the governments are becoming very aware of the savings that people can get from, from switching products. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a top agenda. You know, we've got this FinTech inquiry happening right now, which I'm presenting um, to the government on um, in, in the next two weeks. Um, I think it's top of the agenda, right? People are um, able to get a better deal. There is a cadence towards sharing information. There is a cadence towards banks opening up these walled gardens of data. And there are new bank licenses being launched. That never happened before. It was almost impossible to get a bank license, right? Um, and and I think, um, you know, we're in a good place and we wanna work with the banks. We love the banks, I love banks. Let's go back in time. Banks were the technology companies, right? You know, we used to write on – they used to write with with pen and paper the balances in your bank account, right? And so they they went to sh- spreadsheets and they went to databases and they put it all on your phone. They're great technology entrepreneurs in and of themselves, and I herald them for that. And now, you know, we want to work with them and we want to bring that to a, to another level.
2: So what is the cutting-edge banking sector you've seen? Where, where would you put Australia compared to, you know, in the likes of Spain or the UK or US?
0: I think that the uh, the Australian uh, major banks have built a lot of very good technology to transfer money, uh, to keep your money safe, to uh, enable you to see what's going on. There's a layer on top where I'd say Australia is a long way behind in giving you suggestions and giving you, um, I guess, objective advice. There's a layer. It's like think of think of banks like um, Uber what, what Uber did for for taxis right you know we we used to hail a taxi and not know where it was. That's the information layer that sits on top of those now. And I think it's the same thing with the banks, right I think you'll have um, these layers on top of banks which give you guidance and suggestions and um, connect into banks. I think headless banks will happen in the future like there's dark what, is, what does that mean? I think you, you know there'll be banks where you you can't call a customer service center because there is none. They'll just work with third parties, um, and I think that's starting to happen. I, I just came back, as I said, from London, and there's a, a bank that well, it's a digital. I don't know what you'd call them. That's the thing they built on top of a bank in in Italy. There are 800 banks in Italy, by the way. Right. Okay. There's 1,200 banks in Germany. There are 14,000 banks in America, just to give you context, right? So 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 here we we look at banks and we go oh you know, we have these challenges. But actually, if you compare the technology of a local bank in America or, or Italy or Germany, the bank, that, that's like dinosaur. Like that's like way back in time, no internet banking, all these kind of things. So, so relatively technology-wise, we're quite forward. Although now what's happening is these banks are giving up that fight and going, hey, tech company, come and build on top of us. We'll partner with you and we'll just be a good bank. We'll do banking really well. And you do the customer part, the marketing part. We'll just do the banking side. And here's the cables to go and talk to our systems. I think that's where things are going. Insurance policies, telcos, energy companies, all these kind of things. I think that's the future of where I see I see the tectonic plates are moving and where the confluence will eventually end up.
2: And would I buy you out if I was a chief exec of one of those four banks in Australia? I'd try. Yeah, you would, would you?
0: Of course. Of course. I think it's – I think that – um,
2: That's what the whole game is, isn't it? The shifting of the, of the cash, the coin, the credit cards?
0: I think 100%. You know, buying pay later, obviously causing a, a major input impetus and change. You know, we're seeing that on our site right now. Um, we get the information before most people do, right? Because people are making decisions on our site. They're making the calls right then and there. And, and I think we can help and leverage that information um, to provide the products that people want and need before most other companies can. And, and remember, we're not just competing. Some banks are very forward. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of very forward um, moving companies, um, banks that are making good investments. And, and and I herald that. And it's hard to innovate when you have so many people. So I I, I just have so much respect for that. Um, I have respect for, as I said, a Phoenix company it keeps reinventing itself and reinventing itself and reinventing like Sony. Sony is a great company to me. You know, they were building RAM, and then then they were building Walkmans, and then they were building, you know, TVs, and then they were building phones, and then they were building um, a PlayStation. Like, whoa, where did that come from? But that's in their DNA, right? And that's a great company that keeps to rein- keeps reinventing itself, and it's hard. And I think what what I've sort of done with Finder, and what I keep trying to do is, we're constantly trying to reinvent ourselves as well, and stay current, and 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 I think, you know, that's why I empathize with these big companies. Like, how do you innovate? Um, and, and I, I have some, sort of some thoughts on that, but I think that at its core, it's not easy, right? It's, it's logical not to innovate. It's actually logical because most innovations fail. You know, People go, oh, we're getting disrupted. Well, actually, no, 99% of the attempts to disrupt you failed. You actually defended them off. There's one that kind of did work. That was actually what happened. That's the reality. You know, there was a probably, how many companies probably, they, people came into boardroom of some bank and said, oh, we're being disrupted by this. And then it didn't really happen. Versus, you know, oh, mortgage brokers are going to kill the banks. Well, no, you know, probably not. Let's let's chill out. Let's keep going. And so there's that decision not to innovate and not to, you know, worry about that is actually a smart one. 99% of it, 99 times. And then there's the one. and And hopefully, you know, in some small way, um, we can we can do that one.
2: What's the values at your organisation? Because that is so so important. these stage, you're going to create the atmosphere to stimulate people to do what you're just talking about.
0: Yeah, there are five values of Finder, um, and they they help us with our decisions. We talked about you know the fourth one, empower people. The yep. first one's one crew, so there's only one team at Finder, um, and that's. That's the Finder team. So no matter where you go, we we form together in these formations, and we send we find they're the best projects, right? When everyone's informed, um, when there's one person from each of the areas, that's our one crew. The second one's straight up. So we just if you start a sentence at Finder and you've got an idea, and you say straight up, I think this. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in the organisation, people will stop, listen, think about what you've said, and then continue on.
2: So it's not the idea box in the corner.
0: There's no idea box. It's just, (laughs) if you just drop straight up, you know, that's a serious line, right? People are going to, like, people come up to me all the time. They go, straight up, Fred, I just don't think we should do that because of this. I'll take that with a lot of weight. And why straight up? Because people have great ideas. And most of the time, I think, where companies tend to have their challenges is when they don't have the freedom to speak their mind. And I refuse that to happen. I want to hear what people have to say at Finder because that's why they were chosen in the first place. That's why they're there. And if that wasn't the case, then you've got a problem in recruitment, not in, not in actually the people and the, and the culture and the values of the company. Um, the third value of Finder is go live. And what that means is we have a bias of putting things live on the internet. Sometimes a little too early, um, but um, you know, we launch, we get stuff done. That's that's what Finder means. You know, we have, we empower people to put things live on the internet and we back you and we don't know all the exact details because you know what they are. We back you to go and make that happen, right? And I think that's the centerpiece, right? It's almost like a bit like with with Face where they've got move fast and break things. For us, it's go live. It's a, it's, it is a badge of honor to go live at Finder. That means you have, put, you know, put something out there. And really, if you take a step back, what it actually means is we put our products out to the market to get feedback in public right that's you, the difference you can't hide you can, there's no to hide right mm-hmm. so we put it out there and and most people we'll, you know you launch something you're, okay before we launch let's just go and see what the feedback inside the company is no instead for with us we press live and we let the customers tell us because normally the things that are internal sometimes are a bias to you know the walled garden of what you think as an organization versus the customer didn't even see that they were looking at a wholly, completely different thing that we weren't even looking at. And that's normally where you need to start. Let's start from the customer and work backwards. Um, you know, We we talk about quality, so there's different ranges of quality. Quality at Finder when you go live means compliance to requirements. Now, you may set that requirements very high, right, in terms of quality. Like with the app, we send that very high. Whereas with other um, products, it's not actually that high. You just need to get it on the internet. You're either live or you're not. Yeah, right. And, and for some content, you're either there telling the customer or you're not. It's, it's, it's a lot more about speed, right? Whereas the products in our engineering, we, our quality is much higher and so the compliance is much more intense. The fifth value of finder, so the fourth one was empower people. The fifth value is about master your craft. And master your craft is, means we have a bias um, to, to personal growth and development and we believe in the person because great people make great companies and they'll take care of the profits and the revenues and that's what we ultimately believe in. And so we have this training budget for everyone to master their craft. And if they go and leave, that's fine. We understand that. We accept that. But we don't think they will because we're so committed to their personal growth. And 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 as I said, that comes back to um, these people make the company. So we want them to be masters of what they do. We want the person at Finder to be better than the other person of the other company doing the exact same job. We want one on our side and zero on their side.
2: How many people have you feel got in Finder now?
0: There's three hundred and ten full time employees around the world, um, and um, they are you know very very you know we're the underdog in most markets I'd say, and we're we're competing as best we possibly can, and and they they're just doing such incredible great things. I I have so much admiration. I was just in Poland in our Wroclaw um, office, um, which right is town. Sorry, it's a great town. It is a great town. Seven hundred thousand people. Yep, yep. hundred thousand students. I think it's the Silicon Valley of Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, changing dramatically. I love the place. Minus six degrees outside, but that was a little punchy. It could be a, yeah. I'm not a drinker but so I didn't get to oh, taste it. Are yeah,
2: you on there. a what's it? 300 days or 500 days? 550 days now. Jeez, that's well done.
0: Yeah. Big campaign. It's not really like I actually don't see it as a, an achievement. I think it's like, well, if you stop doing something is that really an achievement? Not really. Like I don't think that's it's really about did you have the self-discipline to go and achieve what you ultimately wanted to go and achieve. That's where it really to me it comes back down to. So I, I don't see it as a as a as a win. I see it as giving me the space to go and achieve my goals. Mm-hmm. Um You know, I think going back, but I think those those crew in Poland when I turned up, everyone had a smile. I've never, you know, the energy was high. They can feel it, and I I think that's that's what it's all about, right?
2: So, if we were going to roll you into an established corporate boardroom in Australia, and you were to address a bunch of the ASX top fifty chief execs, big boardroom, let's say. What would you say to them about how do you change the thinking about getting growth? If you read the, you know, the papers every day of the week, you look at the numbers every day of the week, there's restructure after restructure, there's transformation after transformation. However, there's a lack of serious double-digit growth. It's a big call. What advice could you give to our audience out there? And I'd like to understand also, what does your, I guess, um, workforce structure look like? Mm. Is it different to everybody else? Fred, how do you think?
0: hmm so I have, I have two very um, strict approaches to innovation and growth. And they are, I just think there's only two, two levers you can pull. The first one is incremental growth, right? Incremental on what your existing business is. So make your existing product better for your existing customer. And you need a commitment to do that regardless of anything, right? So let's let's assume that's going to happen. And, 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 and normally, you know, what that actually comes back down to mm-hmm. is listening to the customer, re-listening, sitting down and having a, a re-listening and committing to what is the incremental changes of growth that we're going to make in order to make that customer journey better and that are not negotiable. And that starts from the CEO. If you don't understand your customer, then I, I'm not sure who can. You know, you've got to be that one sitting in each of those meetings, including the boardroom, and you're the customer. You're saying this is not right for the customer and you stand up and you, you set that expectation. So that's the first thing. The second part of growth, I think, and, and this is my suggestion, but again, everyone has their own views, is realistically the company has a natural inbuilt, I guess, attrition system to weed out growth and to focus the company back to incremental and day-to-day business, right? That's a natural course of what things should do. That's a logical decision. So in order to counteract that, you need to go and set up a separate company. And you need to have that next to your other company. And it needs to be the place where new things can happen. So you don't have the the, the sacred cows. You don't have um, the, the the skeletons and, and technical debt that you've built up over you know, 20, 25 years. You've got these new technologies that now you can go and use. Everyone knows what you actually should do. Just most of the things that of your role, I believe, as a CEO and as a board is to create the space for people to do great things. And the company is going to kill those ideas because, you know, should we go and service this client today or go and work on that thing that we don't know is going to work? And you need a bit of both, right? You mm-hmm. need to go and improve what you're doing on, on incremental growth and understand the customer and work towards that. And on the other side, you're going to build the new thing because. And and this I could be wrong, right? But this is how I've always approached this. You know, we set up Finder as a separate company on the side of our agency. Mm-hmm. We set up this app on this as a separate company. So it is a separate company. It's a separate company. We had we had the separate company for the app. It's a separate company. Separate you know, people. Yep, separate people. I, I I actually run that that business. That's the one I'm sort of better at. And I literally we just have we have a different we hire different types of people. We, we have different types of meetings. We say different things that you probably couldn't say <laughs> um, in the other company. Um, you know, it's just it's a recommitment to some of the things that you've metastasized your existing organization and it's the way that you can start to grow again. And then the kind of people that you need to put in this company are not the same people that you've got in your existing organization. Your existing organization's got specialists that are great at managing people, leading people, executing, orchestrating. They're people wranglers, right? And they're specialists at what they do. In your other organization, you're going to need Swiss Army Knives. You know, a little bit of engineering and a little bit of design and a little bit of accounting. You know, they can talk to clients somehow. They've mixed a little bit of that. You need a whole bunch of Swiss Army Knives. Swiss Army Knives in big organizations – unfortunately don't get recognized for the generalist that they are and they tend to get put to the side and eventually they leave um, and that's that's what's actually it's it's fairly natural but instead you need to go and find those people so they've got cross disciplines and they 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 understand the dollar they're entrepreneurial they're passionate they're the ones that are winning your hack days you know all those kind of things they're the ones that are going to build that second company
2: so fear of failure doesn't come across your mind
0: You know, I think everyone's failed uh, in some way, shape, or form. Just some don't give up. So I refuse to give up.
2: All right. So you're the underdog in a number of new markets you're moving into. Can you talk us through the markets that you are moving into?
0: You know, the US market, UK, and Canada are all very competitive markets. UK is probably the global leader in comparison. They export it around the world as well. I think Australia is a very competitive market as well. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Very competitive market. Um, but those new markets in those other countries are very challenging because no one knows who we are. No one, you know, it's it's a risk. So let me just give you the level. It's a risk in America to go and work for Finder. A life risk, not not a career risk. Because if you don't have a job, you fall very quickly to the bottom in America, unfortunately unfortunately. And a lot of people just said, I remember I was in a conversation with a guy in New York and I said, you know, we should, you know, come and join us as our head of people and culture. He's like Fred, I just can't take that life risk. Yeah. I, and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you just guys haven't been around long enough and I just don't know if you're going to make it and that that means that we're all not going to make it. And I just didn't see the level, you know, in that in that dimension. Um, I love being a startup, but, you know, I want to be the fast, nimble company that doesn't have the structural inefficiencies that other companies have and I'm going to exploit that as, and, and push that and give everyone the freedom to go and do what they possibly can do as best I possibly can until, you know, eventually we're going to have to put rails on that and, you know, it happens.
2: Rails. Now does rails mean one day potential IPO?
0: I think Finder is, uh, so when I think about that, I think Finder is an organization that should be and can be listed um, because it's serving a a long-term global mission, um, you know, to better all the world's decisions. And and decisions are constantly changing, but... I just think that problem will always exist with humanity. Um, I think it's an, it's a, it's a it's something which, you know, we talk about decision fatigue these days, right? And 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 I think that's yeah, it's just getting more and more intense. Um, I, I think that um, the decision about that, but is also I want this company to live forever after me. This is a legacy decision, not a personal decision this is something which i believe and hopefully these values will serve people and, and in some small way you know i just think there's a single mom right out in the west that that just literally needs you know 300 bucks to 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 buy a sewing machine because she's a wedding dress maker and she just needs a decision and a help a way around to get that and find can in some small way help that so she can save Twenty bucks on her, on her health insurance. She get a credit score in the right place. She gets the sewing machine to get that six hundred dollars. She go and buy her son a bike. Yeah, right. That's that's what I think. The the I think they were doing that all day. And just you know, in some small way, I hope that that happens forever.
2: Tough question for you, but if you go down the route of gaming a technology company, is the greatest threat? there also being copied. And if a look at other parts, other countries are well known for copying, particularly around. In technology, therefore, you could be in trouble. I'm I'll, I'll interested in your, in your thoughts on that. Or, as you say, you create this, this mentality that we reinvent, we reinvent, we reinvent. It's, it's a double-edged sword, there, Fred.
0: Yeah, um, Americans innovate, Chinese replicate, yeah, exactly. and Europeans regulate. Right. <laughs> what do the Australians do? Well, I'm trying to, you know, help to set that. I think I think we are used to being. Um, Assuming someone's coming to get us, someone bigger, someone in front of us. We, we're not used to being a leader nope. in our country. Agree. And so, why I, I, the way in which I'm trying to counter that? And, and I, I'm, I'm, I know people are copying us. It's a fact. I can see their, I can see the plans in their public company, you know, documents. They, they, they tell us about, you know, I can see that what they're trying to do next, and it seems to be very similar to what we're doing. Um, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. But the way in which I'm going to try and, you know, as best we can um, defend against that is assume two things. One, cultivate a small amount of healthy paranoia that someone's coming all the time and they are. And, you know, there's a degree of healthy paranoia and there's a degree of, I'd say, unhealthy, unconstructive, and you just got to find that balance, right? The second thing is that everything we build, I assume, we're going to rebuild in three years' time. Um, so that's our go live mentality. It's just not built because, unfortunately, it's going to be technology is going to move. Our debt's going to. We need to pay that down. Um, we've we've go live as fast as we possibly can, and we've improved these things. But we're going to rebuild this in three years' time. And so I'm happy to share our plans. Just come and get us because we're going to out we're going to out execute you.
2: Are you the right person to be a CEO? Of an ASX listed company,
0: so I I I'm not sure if I am the best CEO, um, and and that's just being straight up. I've I've never really I've been a co CEO with Frank, but I think Frank is much more of a CEO. Um, you know, when I, when I won the young entrepreneur of the year, that one of the, one of the judges asked me, he goes, Fred, we've got all these companies launching all around the world and we're going to need more Freds. I said, well, not really. I think we need more Franks. (laughs) You you don't want more guys like me. Um, I think maybe it might be, you know, I don't know, it could be a non-executive director or, or maybe an executive chairman role more than anything, but I do think I would run the new business, whatever it is that's new. And, and I think that's where. You know, I'm, I'm I'm better placed when it's a smaller organisation, um, and you know some of those things which you know I think and that urgency which I bring work better. Whereas the planning, the alignment, the 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 strategies, the 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 pivots need to be you know executed slightly differently in a bigger organisation.
2: Are you the marketer? Are you the are you the brains trust behind that?
0: That's a great question. I've never been asked that question. I think in its core, I am a, a marketing CEO. Yeah. So I'm the promoter. That's why I'm talking to you guys right now. <laughs> um, Frank doesn't do that, right? Frank is, you know, and Jeremy's the, he's a COO. He doesn't. He doesn't. He does a little bit of it, but he does not really. Our other CEOs in our countries do a little bit of it, um, but I think I'm, you know, I just believe in awareness. You either people know you, or you don't. You either you either there or you're ignored. I, the worst thing I can think of, the worst paranoia I have is being forgotten. That just crushes me inside. Um, so, so you know, I do think about those latest techniques and those latest channels. There's a lot of great marketers you've got to understand in Finder. It's not just me anymore. Maybe in the start, you know, I was a good promoter and a good marketer, but it's just, it's not, it's just not me. It's, there's actually some, yeah, they're great marketers. They, they, they do things that I just wouldn't think to do and it, they've taken it to a whole other level.
2: Who thought of the Obama?
0: That was I um, was actually by our head of PR in Australia. She found this impersonator, you know, Obama, and I was like, "Oh, that's really wacky." But Obama's really popular. Yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, um, I actually met Reggie in LA um, a year after as well, and he's just yeah, he's a funny guy. He's just really funny. Um, Did it work? Yeah, I think it did. People still talk about it for yeah, some exactly. well, we're reason. We're talking about it, aren't we? Yeah, I don't know how that happens, for that that that's the level, right? I think maybe just take a step back. I think so. Was that a shock? Was what, what, what was all that about? Let me give you the context. Mm-hmm. Is I think those ideas on the surface, you know, I think one of one part of it is who comes up with the idea. That's one part. But I actually think with every great advertising or every great great you know promotion. The person that people forget is the marketer that approved it. The person who had the courage to support that idea internally—they're great marketers. You know, the guy. Imagine the person inside Twitter and said, "We're going to jump up and scream! Oh, what a feeling!" People have been like, uh, "Not sure, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Like, do we want to show the car or something, or say something <laughs> about driving, or you know, that's that's a that's a courageous thing to do." I agree. And and. I, I think I create an environment and support an environment of courage. Courage is what makes great marketing. I think to to be okay to put things out there, and you know I I, I tell our PR crew all the time. I said, guys, we're not seeing I'm not seeing enough mistakes. Like it's just not enough errors right now. It's to you know like push it further. I wanna I wanna be cleaning up some mess. Why are we not cleaning up any messes right now? That's a signal to me that we're not pushing it, right? And, and, and that's about innovation in your marketing, your message, to become relevant, you know, to, to reinvent Finder over 10 years to still be relevant today. And growing. And growing, right? Yeah. That's a challenging Like you've got to keep repositioning ourselves, keep reinventing. Like we're we like Beyonce, you know, constantly reinventing ourselves.
2: What sort of percentage of your revenue do you spend on marketing?
0: It depends on each market. Um, some markets are fully committed. That that's all there is. It's yeah. only marketing. Um, I'd say it's between, you know, 20 to 40%. It depends on the vertical as well. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's pretty high.
2: Okay. And you're using traditional and new marketing?
0: Yes. Uh, you know, is it new still? That's nice. I appreciate you saying that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've gone and looked at those other channels like – you know, broadcast mediums and figured out, okay, how are we going to just like any other internet channel, but how are we going to compete? Mm. And, you know, that's where sort of that jingle came from. Um it's actually that that was the seventh failure that produced that one, by the way. There were some terrible jingles before that. Um and that was a courageous thing to do as well, right? So go back in time. When was the last time a company in Australia did a jingle? Like we're we talking nineties? Absolutely. Eighties. Mojo. Mo, Mo and Joe. I that's love right. Mo and Joe. Yeah. Um, and and that, they're the guys I learned from. But, you know, I was a young internet marketer and they talked about them and they idolized them. And I saw and I, 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 they, they, they tapped into the psyche of Australians. They got like deep into the DNA of their souls. And I was like, wow, that's a skill. Like, how are we going to do that? And, and, but they were seeing about some pretty cool stuff at the same time, right, as well. Um, and nationalism was big. And unfortunately, I think nationalism might be on the rise again. Okay, okay. Um, we can, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole other topic. But I just think that that's where I, that's where those those that's the history of why I appreciated that.
2: You proud to be an Australian pushing the brand offshore?
0: Yeah, I think um, you know Australia doesn't have the generations of entrepreneurs to lean on. You know, you know, go back to I remember in the you know eighties and nineties, entrepreneurship was like a gambler you know, they were like this wild gambler that yeah. did things like that, right? Now it's like, you know, you, it's kind of cool. But at the same time, those, the entrepreneurs today, there's just not a bank of people that have been through it and done it to go and ask and speak to. So I hope maybe, you know, we can set a standard in doing that. Um, so who do you lean on, Fred, to use your words? You know, I, I have some great, you know, Frank is great, Jeremy, our, our CEOs around the world are, are great. Um I, I read a lot of um, books. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard in Australia, but like you know, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and interviews and and, and podcasts. Um, I listen to the um, it's hard. It's very hard. A lot of them I, a lot of people I learned from videos and that sounds strange, but yeah, it's all right. I never I, I haven't actually met the person, but I, I could probably speak to them about so many things about their life that I've learned about. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I just had this miracle moment in America and I meet the person that I, and I tell, like, so when I went, I'll give you an example. When I met Richard Branson, I talked to him so in depth about his companies that most people wouldn't have spoken about that. You know, this was early, early um, in, you know, we were working with him on his credit card here in Australia and he came Mm -hmm. along and I said, you know, how's the space company going? He was like, how do you know about that? Brilliant. You know, and he goes, I go, oh, I was just, you know, you know, I was just researching, you know, and I said, like, like, are you scared about crashing? You know, and he was like, "Whoa, that's like you know, it's about it's that level. It's it's going from reading the headlines to going into the actual organisation and understanding what is the decision he's making, because that's what you're experiencing as well, and you want to learn from that. And do you get the
2: chance in your role or make the effort when you're travelling around the world to go and see other entrepreneurs, go to their offices, walk around the floors, etc.?
0: I do, I do, I, and I, I interview them, so I. Oh dear. Yeah, we have a we have a we have a I have a cryptocurrency channel. That's a whole other thing.
2: Now we're going to come onto that in a second. We'll come on in yeah. a sec.
0: But yeah. um, I um, I have a club called the Disruptors Club, and I publish my information and content there. Um, and they're and that's it, a global you, club. Yep, yep. So it's all around the world. But they're the they're the people that I admire. They're the people that I'm listening to and I'm watching. And I want everyone else to be able to understand that. As I said, it's just a vacuum of information of great entrepreneurs to listen to in Australia.
2: So what would you do in Australia? And it's all theory at this stage, Fred. And how are you going to put it all together? In terms of? The- Bringing the collective together. Put our nation on the map. Should we, do, we need a, do we need a digital harbor? What do we actually need? Otherwise, it's just ether in the air that you're talking to
0: me about. I have an idea. Go on. I, 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 this is a big call. I, have a, I've talk, I, I, don't, I haven't Never really spoken about this, but I'll share it with you. This is a, a very provocative question. I like it, Greg. Um, I can see why you're a great recruiter. Um, so I think there's a, there's a resource. If, like as I'm traveling around the world and I come back all the time, I realize there's a resource in Australia that's so undervalued that I don't think people see, and that is we have the most untouched amount of environment. And if you look at the world, right, like you go to the, you go to London, you go to New York, you're you, you, you're smashing the concrete jungle, right? Yeah. It's just a lot of ground that's been touched by humanity. Whereas here, you know, you go, I I, went, I drove from Darwin to Broome, and just the amount of time I spent not seeing anyone, and not seeing, you know, things that have probably lots, a few people have actually seen and, and, and enjoyed, is incredible. And I think in the future, as you scale forward, if you fast forward in time, Australia, if it continues and keeps those places, those will become extreme premiums. The environment will become like one of the most un, like the most premium thing you can do. Imagine someone in China paying $100,000 to go and see a place that no other human has seen. That's rare. Agreed. And we have that in a large quantity. You know, people talk about, oh, there's nothing in the desert. There's plenty. No one's seen it. That's great. So no one knows what's there. And and as as the world grows, I think that's what will become a premium. So I think we should raise our environmental standards up dramatically. Then I think what we should do is invest in an um, in a airline transport or some sort of way to transport people in large quantities in, in comfortable ways. One of the things I don't think Australians realise is we're used to flying 14 hours on a flight. No one else in the world understands that experience and pain like we do. If we want to go anywhere, it's 10 to 14 hours, right? That's just, you know, we're even 22 hours to London. And we're used to that. Mm. But because of that, we intimately know the pains and challenges and problem set that goes with long-range flights. If then we were to invest in a company or some organizations or technology that actually, you know, comfortably transported people quickly around the world in long-distance flights, I think Australia would boom. And the reason for that is we would start be bringing people in. We'd own the railway line because everyone wants to go to Australia. But everyone goes. The first thing you, everyone says, "Too far." It's too far. Like people. Like my, my, I spoke to my 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 dad's cousin the other day. He's in Austria. He goes. He went to Thailand. I'm like, that's a long way. Why don't you just catch a plane down to Australia? He goes, "It's another nine hours, Fred." I was like, "Wow, geez, like I can't believe like you would sacrifice that." But at its core, you know, this is what like countries like you know. China are doing you know with their one road, one belt straight into Africa, they see the growth there. In the same way if we defend our environment right now, raise up the standards, keep that beauty in there being these areas of untouched um, land and then invest in the transportation to bring us there, that I think is there are two industries that will boom not today but in 10 years time.
2: I 100 percent behind you on that. That's a great idea. Can I ask, with the ideas like that in your position, do you ever, ever speak to ministers of the government and put forward such philosophies? So,
0: I I do speak to some ministers, and
2: and do they understand the traps, the hard yards, entrepreneurs like yourself have to go through?
0: I I just don't think that's where all these ministers have come from. Most people in Australian government are great politicians, right? And, and to be a great politician, you need to be steel skinned um always have something to say know how to deliver your message and they shake hands with everyone they're friends with everyone whereas what we're talking about here is the reality of executing a vision over a long period of time and that's not what their that's not what their mandate is to get into power and to you know successfully navigate and run the country in Australia it's just not the way it's set up
2: right so which country if you had to move shop would you go to this is
0: pretty harsh to say, but you know, I, I think for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I've always empathized and um, been more aligned potentially to the American way. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll just give context on that. And I've got to be careful here because I'm not a politician. I'm terrible at politics. But I, I feel the private enterprise in America is looked at by the government in different ways. So if you look back at Tesla even, it was funded, I think it was $250 million was given by the government to Tesla to get up and running. And they paid every dollar back with interest. Um, And there were many other enterprises, many other problems where the government looks at it, not them to solve it, but they look to private enterprise to solve it. And I think in Australia there there is that sort of mindset. I think in the UK they're doing that. So you know all these banks have gotten big fines, and they're actually giving those that money to fintechs. There's like payments going to these fintechs, and that's why they're crushing the earth right now. Yeah, right. UK fintech is just on fire. Okay, it's supported by the government. It's um, you know provocative in its um, regulation. It's got funding. It's it's they've laxed the laws on crowdfunding. That's the kind of moves you want to do in order to create this, right? And I think in Australia we could do that if we fix some of the equity. There's a bit of like – it's just some of the parts around that are just bumpy, right? They're just not enterprising. The labor laws, I, I hate to say it, but they're just, again, a little bit archaic, right? They're a little bit back in time. If we want to get real, companies come and they go. They don't all make it. And and, and creating this, this sort of lock-in, it makes everyone very defensive in Australia because it's hard to um, – you know, if you get the, if you hire the wrong person, you get into problems. Unfortunately, in Australia, and I'm and not to say like that's neither right nor wrong. It's just if you want to create this environment, just straight up, you're going to need to change something. And it may be just a sandbox. It may be a certain area or a certain whatever. Maybe you can create these halfway houses, mm. and I think that that that's what these new countries are doing. You know, I think America's getting like you know, as much as everyone, you know. Has always bagged America to some extent. They're getting real smart on the global stage. Like they're pulling back, and they're they're actually considering their options. They're looking at the future. They're, they've they've actually made um, I'd say some quite big strides. It's hard to move America as well. Let me get let's give let's give context. You're talking about like way more people, way more problems, and way more senators and all these kind of things to deal with. So in Australia, it's relatively it's a different game. Yeah, but decisions are being made. Decisions are being made. Right, actions are being taken, and and right now democracy is being challenged by centralized governments that are making decisions that serve not the country today, but in ten years' time, and that's 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 what the difference is.
2: Am I going to be one of these Australians who really like you, and see one day that your company is going to be sitting over there in the U.S.?
0: You know, it's a challenging one. I think, you know, as much as. I I've I always, like
2: everybody else, you know, it's a great story and off we go. Had to go to the US.
0: I think that um, I I have a US visa, right? So I go to the US a lot. I'm, I'm going there actually um, next week again. But Finders is a global company, so it's not just US. Um, so that's the difference, I think here. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I would love to always commit to Australia and in some small way, you know, we're handing back, we're employing large numbers of people. We're paying large amounts of taxes. And that's great because Australia has given me an opportunity, uh, a safe, protected place um, with a relatively stable uh, government to create this company, and I I see it as giving back in that way. But, you know, if some of these countries are making such progressive moves mm-hmm. and in order to compete and to, 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 to stand up and stay, to survive and endure, if that's give or take, I, I have to take that option, unfortunately.
2: Fair enough. Something dear to your heart, crypto, cryptocurrency. Can you talk about it?
0: You know, I think I said to Frank two years ago, I said, if you're going to start a company today, what kind of company would you create? I said, probably a blockchain company, right? Because you want to know what's going on. I think um, blockchain and some of the technologies are probably five years a little too early. Um, And when I, you know, sort of have experienced this over the last two years, it reminded me of when I started the internet. So I started the internet, you know, 2000, 2001. And I was building little websites, and there was Yahoo then, and all these kind of things. And I saw all these companies; the exact same thing happened. Right? It was it was a it was like a fractal playing out. It was like, oh, there's the scam companies. Oh, there's the big dreams. Oh, that's never going to happen. Um, that's just a copycat. Um, that's real. Oh, that's interesting. And I I didn't really get you know um, too flustered by the whole thing. In fact, I sort of saw it as I, I kind of knew what was going to happen. I think, again, that's that's probably experience that, you know, I've had with the internet and and the pace in which it moves. Um, and, you know, we've made our investments in that area right now and I'm very happy about our investments actually. Um, but I do see it being in the future a central part of our day-to-day living. You know, imagine when so, – so let's just fast forward. Imagine virtual reality in 10 years' time, mm-hmm. like how good it will be. Are you going to pay like – not in a virtual currency like why you live in a virtual world so how does it work then
2: how does this virtual currency for mums and dads out there dialing in how does this actually work because it's not in my hand is it
0: yeah yeah well but like let's let's go back a step do you think most like is most of your money in your hand these days no so you actually pretty much got a virtual currency today yep the only difference is it's not issued by a government that's a big deal Right, so central governments all throughout time from the Romans to um, you know, the Greeks all throughout time have used something called seigniorage And you can look that up. It's, it's a term where essentially governments inflate away the, the value of currency. Extreme examples are you know, obviously people look at Germany. But right now, today, Argentina has got 50% inflation. Um, Zimbabwe is out of control. Um, this is where governments steal money from their people. And the way to avoid that is to not... Or that people don't value that money. Right. They don't value it. They devalue it. Printing money or quantitative easing, whatever word you want to look at it, um, is absolutely outlawed, right? That That is an extreme thing you cannot do in our modern society, but governments have the power to do that. Unfortunately, or for whatever reasons... That has been stealing money from people. As I said, you look at the, the Roman Empire when it collapsed, mm-hmm. a gold Roman coin had 3% gold in it. It was fueled with other things after that. They took the gold out and they gave them. They used it for creating armies and things like that. Yeah. And the same thing, right? So the thing about Bitcoin is there is no central government. There's no one to call. There's no CEO of Bitcoin to call and go, hey, I want you know, some Bitcoin. Can you change something? There's no one to call.
2: So is there regulation?
0: There is regulation around... um are you talking about with money laundering Mm. and things like that? hundred percent. It's the exact same thing, but this is an asset. And if you want to look at Bitcoin, think of it like digital gold. Okay. It's fungible. um, It's hard. It's scarce. There's only 21 million of them. It's um, portable. It has all the qualities of money. I just think it's the future. I think it's where we're going. I think it's where central governments don't control people's money. I think people control their own money and it's, it's, it's code that runs it. It's, it's, it's not up to people anymore. You know, Rothschild said if you control the currency, you control the people. Mm. And so a lot of central governments are very scared of cryptocurrency because it's a direct attack at their fundamental power over the people. The only reason why we buy Australian dollars right now is to pay taxes. It's the only reason. Otherwise, why wouldn't you hold US dollars? Like I'll accept US dollars from you. You know what I mean? You'll accept, who wouldn't accept US dollars? Or in the other case, is you could accept um, a stable coin. So a stable coin is a cryptocurrency that is pegged to the US dollar. So okay. it's a representation of it. Um, and so in the same way, I think if you go back in time, so the reason why I wanted to get into it mm-hmm. is one, the technology. Two, Finder has a lot of connection to finance, right? So I saw it as like the f- Foundation. So it's almost like if you think about chemistry, it's the elements that make up chemistry, and your currency is the one of the elements. And if you change the currency, you change the complete game. That's that's a that's a that's a that's the if you know for for me that's a threat because that that overhauls the entire thing we're doing. And it was actually an opportunity as well. Like so, we compared cryptocurrency exchanges, and we do this in a big way all around the world, which Mm -hmm. is a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, The other reason um, is that. I think that there's a premium these days, and you talked about this, on trust.
2: Yes, 100%.
0: Now, blockchains, all they are is decentralized trust. That's all it is. It's like basically a ledger that no one can break. And if it's in the ledger, it is. If it's not, it's not. And that's all it is. It's just a trust and voting mechanism. that's That's all the technology is. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a brand, and it's built on this trustless technology, and it's decentralized. And it's an actual miracle that it exists. It's a miracle that some piece of code has been created and it's got a dollar value. That's actually a miracle. Like when, in, let's go back in time. Imagine the first time, say, Greg, we were sitting here five thousand years ago, right? Yep. And I said to you, "Hey, Greg, can I get your car there? I'll just give you this shiny piece of yellow. Do you up you up for it? Give me your cow as well. Yeah, I'll give yeah, you some yeah. more yellow. You're like, uh, I'm not sure about that yellow That's thing, right. Fred."
2: That's right. You buy two chickens, Fred.
0: Yeah. Uh, two chickens, maybe. <laughs> um, or some shells. Yeah. Um shiny but, shells, but, very shiny shells. Yeah, shinier, better. <laughs> um, but but um this this metallic gold weird thing, not so into it. Can't really use it for anything, can't eat it, can't, you know, it's kind of annoying. But now you you look at the price of gold, it's it's actually at an all-time, close to an all-time high right now. Mm-hmm. Um quick story: 2006, a guy was next door. Fixing this guy's farmer up in the up in the UK. It's sort of the mid Midlands. Had a hammer. He dropped his hammer. Fell on the ground. And his mate had a had a metal detector. He said, "Oh man, I can't find my hammer." He bring the metal detector around. So he brings it around. He's scanning around, and it just starts going off. He puts his hand into the into the soil. Comes up with all these golden gold and silver Roman coins. Yeah, right. Calls up the archaeologists. They dig it up. And there's a treasure law in in the UK. They get paid 1.7 million dollars. Sorry, 1.7 million pounds for this treasure. 500 years ago, someone got this box of gold and silver, put it in the earth. Imagine right now, today, 500 years in 500 years' time, we got a whole lot of hundred dollar bills, put them in the ground, and see how much they'd be worth in 500 years' time. It's just not going to happen, right? It's going to be worth nothing. That's the value of gold and silver on this earth. Mm-hmm. What what the 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 challenge? One of the challenges in the world today is how do you protect your wealth? How do you protect against sovereign risk of governments which you can't control making decisions which affect your wealth? That is is a problem we are starting to experience. And cryptocurrency is the attempt to offset that by giving the power back to the people. And that's why I'm interested in it. That's a foundational, historic moment that today we can't see, but in the future we'll look back and go, wow, that was a miracle. You traded it? I, I'm not a great trader. I'm actually I probably, you know, a loss of money trading. It's probably not my thing, but I've invested it. I just buy and hold because I see it like gold. It's Gold's gone up and over time. Um, the price of – so just to make you context, if you go back in time, the price if you were to buy – you know um a loaf of bread in gold is similar to price it is today it's just the inflation has caught up to it it's actually not changed and it's the same way if you want to protect your wealth i see that's the that's one way of doing that is with with um bitcoin
2: does making the afr's young rich list for 2019 does it really mean much to you
0: i think it it's it should have but unfortunately you know, I think it's a good thing to some extent. I think it's more of a tribute to the crew that have invested so hard in building what Finder is today. And to Frank, just, you know, he's coming on this crazy, this this crazy wild guy that wants to build this website. He wants to go and build websites. He's, just, you know, to, to join me on that journey. I think for him, he was on the list as well, right? He's number 60. It's just, you know, I, I think a quick story on that. Frank was a great tennis player. We're both great tennis players. We play tennis together. And he was a really good tennis player. He was better than me. Um, and, you know, if you looked in the list carefully, Leighton Hewitt was sort of ninety six, and Frank was sixty. So, that's it was all right. Yeah, it was good. He dropped the racket. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's the, that's the thing, right? I I I think it's a validation to a lot of people that have taken life decisions and committed to Finder, but I just see it as the beginning. You know, I think we've only it's day one. We've only just begun, and and I I would be disappointed, um, you know, if that was it. And it's just not. We need great people to come and join us to do what we're gonna do. And, and and in you know, five, ten years time, people, I want I want Australians to look back and go, that's a great Australian tech company. Like, like when do we say that? You know, we talk about mining companies, we talk about biotech companies. Well, what about an Australian tech company that's competing on the world stage with the, you know, just as just as strongly and just as confidently? And and in fact, you could almost say Australia's leading something. Imagine that. Fred, on that really impressive note,
2: are there any final thoughts that you'd like to, I guess, share the entrepreneurs out there listening to this, but also those chief execs, chairman in the ASX boardroom?
0: You know, I think if I was to say one thing about Australian companies right now, one of the things we need is courage. It's time. Has anyone out there got any courage? Is anyone is anyone left after all we've been through and all the journeys and everything that we've done, has anyone left got any courage to stand up and go, right, I'm taking a stand and we're going to take a step forward? That's what's needed right now. Courage.
1: Fred, I thoroughly enjoyed today's discussion. And for our audience out there, we can exclusively reveal the code for the New Finder app is Save Big. I'll say it again, save big. Fred, once again, thanks for joining us on the show. You've been listening to No Limitations.